Let's just start at uh, verse 1, and we're going to read down for a little bit. And uh, right here, the letter of Paul to the Philippians, verse 1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That sounds familiar. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in every prayer for you all. Um, look at that. Always offering prayer with joy in every prayer for you all. Now, do you understand that uh, how many people feel like all your life you have prayed with the joy? Every prayer has been with joy. I guess there's going to be uh, some stories about Brother Hagin this morning because uh, remember there's a, uh, uh, there's a time where he was praying and he said there was a lady at the altar and she was just a wailing. Woo! You know, woo! That was her prayer, you know. And uh, the Holy Spirit, you know, you don't always, sometimes you leave people alone and uh, sometimes you don't. But the Holy Spirit said, go up to that lady and tell her, stop doing that. Stop doing that. It, this is, you have the victory. What do you want and what are you wailing for? What are you crying for? And her prayer was not all in joy at all. Her prayer was in, you know, this, this heartache. And it really was not a prayer of faith at all. It was a prayer of, oh, woe is me. And that's a big difference. And that prayer doesn't really get answered. And so he knew that and he told her, stop that. And then uh, if I'm remembering... There's several times that happened with him, but one particular time, if I remember correctly, he told her, hey, you don't have to be wailing and whining anymore. Receive God in faith. Receive him. And uh, you're, this is done. This victory is done in Jesus' name. And, and she got a hold of it and got set free. Now, that, that can offend some people because they want to hold on to their lack of joy. They want to hold on to that. Why? Because the world has taught them uh, different things that are wrong, like getting attention, and, and this is how you get attention, and this is the way that you do. I recently heard another testimony of missionaries where these new missionaries were being uh, taught by old missionaries how to go to a conference and get money. And they said, now when you go to the conference, wear your worst shoes, you know, the ones with holes in them, and then you go to the altar, and they literally told them this and taught them this, go to the altar, make sure you're wearing those shoes, and stay there for a long time so everybody can see that you have holes in your shoes. And don't wear your best clothes. Put on the worst set of tires that you have on your car, okay? And so what they were doing was they had been taught to receive provision out of their lack. Well, that's not even close to biblical. That is so wrong. But see, we've been taught a lot of times that when we pray, we're not supposed to be in joy. We're supposed to be, you know, travailing, travailing in prayer. Uh, this is not God. Look, look right here. Offering prayer, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Well, what does real joy look like? <laughs> what does real joy look like? Real joy, it's kind of changing, right? The joy of the Lord is a strength. It's a confidence. It's a boldness. Man, this thing's about to happen right now. We're about to receive some manifestation in Jesus' name, right? Amen. All right. 
In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, for I am confident of this very thing. In other words, the thing, let me put it this way too, one of the things that was helping him to have joy for them was that they were being, they were a partner with him in ministry. They were participating. They were giving to Paul's ministry, Philippians, and it talks about that. They were partners. That made it very easy for him to pray in joy for them, which you see what I'm saying? And this was the correct response, was that when they prayed, they, they weren't in travail, but they were in this joy. So now here's what happened. This Philippian church, they gave to Paul. Now Paul, it made it easy for him to pray with joy because now it, when they partnered with him in advance of the gospel, it was he knew that once you give seed into the gospel, what happens? You, have, you reap a harvest, right? So he knows when I pray for you, something's about to happen. That helps bring up his joy. Now he's praying more out of joy with hope for the Philippians. So what's happening? The Philippians are adding to Paul. Paul's adding to the Philippians. The Philippians are adding to Paul. Paul, And this thing just grows, grows, grows like this when we're doing what God's told us to do. Amen. Amen. For I am confident, verse 6, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. So, see, their offerings and their participation in the gospel of Paul. They're giving into Paul in the gospel that he was spreading, his, his ministry that Jesus had given them. He says, it made you partakers of the grace that's on me, that's in me. So in other words, the grace that Paul walked in, the Philippians now had access to that grace as well. Why? Because of their partnership, because of the participation. See, this is what something that happens with tithes and offerings that a lot of people don't realize is it partners you with that ministry. And if there's a grace, if there's an anointing there, then you now have a legal right to reach into that same grace and say, well, if it'll work for Pastor Brian, it'll work for me. You know, if he can walk in that anointing, I can walk in that anointing in Jesus' name. I can, I can partake of some of that anointing and that glory. And so, but what was he talking about now? He's talking about the grace that he had uh, on his life, not only in ministry, but he's also talking about the grace that he has while he's imprisoned. This is really what this first chapter is talking about is his imprisonment, okay? This is important in a second. For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Remember, the Holy Spirit warned Paul back in Acts and said, don't go up here because you're going to go uh, into, you're going to be imprisoned. But Paul went anyway, even though the Holy Spirit warned him. 
Now that's very interesting because what happens is Paul made a choice and over in Hebrews you see that some of those people chose in Hebrews 11. You see at the bottom of the chap chapter they chose something. They chose something. In other words, Paul, the Holy Spirit offered Paul a choice. You can go up here and it'll, it'll be love basically. You can go up here but you're going to go into imprisonment. The Holy Spirit, it says, warned him. In other words, he, the Holy Spirit provided a way of escape. Paul said, I choose, I know that this will cost me, but I choose love. Some of you have heard me talk about an example where the Holy Spirit told me, I know that it will cost me, but it's, that's what love does. And it was a situation that happened several years ago. Some of you have heard me talk about that. That's where I get that from, because this is the correct choice. So what Paul says is, look, most people would just see me as in jail and, and in prison. But he says, look, this thing's turned out for the greater. And it doesn't mean that we should just look for a place where we just go and crucify ourselves without uh, the Lord telling us to go do it. I believe that the Holy Spirit warned him about what was going to happen, but then said, hey, I'll go with you and I'll empower you if you want to go this way of love. So in other words, you don't just go looking to be crucified, but at the same time, you're not afraid of that, even if the Lord says, hey, this is what's going to happen. You know, that you're, you're not afraid of that. And he says, look, because of my imprisonment, the gospel has been greater. And then he talked, the gospel has been advanced greater. Then he talks about that. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. So even his captors, they knew about his imprisonment. It's being talked about. And that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. So his one person's imprisonment multiplied the boldness and the confidence of people that were preaching, preaching the, well, if Paul can do that, I'll do it too. I'm going to go preach the word. I'm, I'm going to be ready in season and out. I'm going to let that boldness and excitement come on me. Some, to be sure, uh, preach in Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, the ones that are preaching out of goodwill, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives. There, you know, anybody ever been around a preacher that you can tell that they're preaching out of selfish ambition more than they are pure motives? You know, I, I have. And just because they started off with pure motives doesn't mean they end up with pure motives doing the same thing. You have to be mindful of that. And you watch the fruit of that. Like what Nicole was saying earlier, just this week, multiple people born again, uh, healed, delivered, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. And that was just this week. And that was just here. He says, uh, some of them preach from selfish ambition rather than pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, whether in other words, whether it's from pure motives or not, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. 
So Paul's saying, even if they preach out of the wrong motives, they're still preaching Jesus. The word, have you ever seen, I've seen ministers that I knew were off base, but they were still, they were still preaching Jesus. And people would come and legitimately get born again because they were still preaching Jesus. But then you couple that with somebody with right motives and it just multiplies that effect. But it also multiplies the, the fight from the devil. So there's going to be that, that fight going on. But we don't, we don't bow to that. We just keep moving because God, we have the victory in Jesus' name. Amen? He said, yeah, I'll rejoice. Verse 19, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So now look at this. I, he says, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. Now we know that Paul got killed. How, how can he make this statement? In verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be, excited, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so what he's saying here is that even if I die in my imprisonment, I will be released. He said, that'll be deliverance for me. Shoot, that's gain. <laughs> that's, that's Southern talk for what Paul said. Okay, He says, shoot, I'm going home, right? He says, he says, this is good stuff. But here's the thing. He says, he says, look, I know that the gospel will be proclaimed. Now, do you think that Paul received deliverance and freedom? I know he did. And you know what he did while he was there? He wrote half the New Testament in his, in his imprisonment. The New Testament that is gospel to us now. Here he is writing these letters to all these churches. Having this effect on the Praetorian Guard. And, and encouraging believers. And teaching us about righteousness and grace and faith. And praying always. And not ceasing in our prayer and our worship. How much did he change while he was in prison? He changed the world. For Jesus. He's still changing me to this day. And he did it from a jail cell that people told him not to go to. So in other words, this is, this is a big deal that he did. A lot of times we look at our immediate situation and surroundings and that's what we focus on. Now I want you to know he is in prison at this moment. And look at what he's saying in verse 19. This will turn out for my deliverance. When they killed him, they, you know, he was like, who cares? Who cares? And then in verse 20, I want you to see this. According to my earnest expectation. My earnest. What set him free? What caused the gospel to explode out of Paul in this way to the point that we are still being affected by it today? earnest expectation what does that look like I asked the question earlier what does joy look like what does earnest expectation look like does it look like this when we walk in the church door got to go to church again I said I just wanted to stay in the bed but now my spouse they kept elbowing me we got to go to church 
That's not earnest expectation. Here's Paul. All of us. Who, who of us is in captivity? Who's in captivity and in bondage like Paul was? I, I'm thinking at the very least we could come up with a little bit of earnest expectation without being in bondage. If Paul can come up with earnest expectation in bondage, it looks different. It wears differently. Earnest expectation. It wears differently on you when you put it on. It wears differently. It looks different. There's an excitement. You can't stop it. You got it. You got to let it out. You got to let it out. Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. Good gravy. The time. Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. So here's Peter and John. They're captured. They've been preaching the gospel. Uh, now they observed the confidence or the boldness. The confidence, the boldness of Peter and John. And understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. They were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. As having been with Jesus. The story in prayer that I told about this morning uh, real quickly is that Brother Hagen was teaching in the Bible school and Keith Moore if you know him he was a student at the time and uh, Keith Moore and his friend were sitting on the front row and uh, Brother Hagen was not preaching an exciting message like I am today he was he was preaching line upon line precept upon precept he said and Keith Moore said and my eyes got more and more heavy and more heavy and before I knew it brother Hagen was standing right in front of me and I don't know how he got there <laughs> and uh, and uh, he said get excited boys it's when you get excited about the gospel that it works for you see sometimes we need to put on some excitement we need to put on some boldness this is how they know that you've been with Jesus See, a lot of people that's been in the American church, Jesus isn't being preached because there's no people that look like they've been hanging with Jesus because there's no excitement, there's no earnest expectation, there's no boldness, there's no joy. There's no joy. It's like, like we're just sitting there like, mm -hmm, that's good preaching, good job. Amen. There's no joy. There's no excitement. There's no earnest expectation. You'll see that the people that stand out in the Word are the ones that know how to let some of that stuff go. A lot of times it's, a, it's literally a bondage that's on us and been on our lives. And we need a, a freedom from that bondage. But literally it's a bondage that's holding us back. That's holding us back. You know, yesterday we were talking to Sharon, and uh, she said, you know, logically what happened to me last Sunday, she said, logically it made no sense, and my flesh and my mind was resisting it. But when I let go and let go to God, he poured out something on me that I have been praying about for the longest time. A freedom came on me. 
And so a lot of times it's a bondage that's sitting there and we have not opened up and humbled our hearts enough or our minds enough to let that bondage be broken by the anointing of Christ and that the freedom is seen when that earnest expectation and joy starts to be seen on us. One thing that uh, Rodney, uh, Brother Rodney said uh, actually he didn't say it but somebody was telling me about it is when uh, Bible students are there in the school and they start meeting somebody and uh, they think that they're getting serious about that person right he says when you think that you found the one you know for your spouse he says what I want you to do is you bring them to a meeting and set them on the front row and he said and then let me see how they are react under the anointing before you ever set your heart on marrying that person because let me see how the anointing affects it. Because the anointing is going to put pressure on bondages. It's going to show some things. It, here's one of the biggest things that will happen. It will show how much humility that person is walking in. Because if they just, if they just sit there and they're like resisting the whole time, they're going to stay in a bondage. They're bound and don't even know it. But if they'll just let, if they'll become a child, you know, They'll become a child. See, we can come, it's like when we have Super Kids Day, right? On Super Kids Day, we come in here, we start playing some music. And if you've got any kid in you whatsoever, here's what's going to start happening. You know, and you watch the kids, and the kids will be like, woo, you know. What, what is that? That's childlike faith. That's a humility but you'll watch, watch it, it, it happens every year, every time when we have Super Kids Day, doesn't it? You've you got a couple of adults that right from the beginning, they're like, mm, 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 mm. But then, then you got the, the middle people, and they're like, for about the first five minutes, they're like, and they're wanting to do something, you know, they might tap their hip. But then after about five minutes, they'll be nodding the head, you know. Because the super kids, they got some, you know, some pumping gospel music, you know. They got some life. They got some anointing in that place. You know, super kids. Amen. And then, then five minutes later, be, you know, got some knees bending a little bit. And then by the end of it, they're, they're with the kids, you know, boom, boom, boom. But then there's always, there's always some, they're always, and, and they're going. And, and they're, they're like, oh, this is really nice. Right, but then there's some that they're like that, and they never enter in. They're like, I just wish this day would be over, and they don't realize they're in bondage. There's no joy. There's no expectation. There's no earnestness there. There's there's no boldness. There's no confidence, and they don't realize their whole life is in bondage. And you know, do people worship differently? Yes, yes, they worship differently. But it's how you allow, humility is allowing the Holy Spirit to move through you. Because some people, even if God himself came down into the room and said, you jump and you dance now, you raise your hands now, they'd say, no, that's not, that's not who I am. That's the issue. There's the, and so uh, Brother Rodney says, Let, I want to see how they react in the anointing. I want to see how they react. See, the anointing, it'll prove, uh, Pastor Tracy Harris was talking about when you come to the river, the river proves you, the river of God. When the Holy Spirit and the anointing goes, it starts to prove you. Where's the excitement? Where's the expectation? Where's the joy? Because, see, if we're not operating in this, Paul knew that his earnest expectation would deliver him. 
These guys knew. They saw that he had been with Jesus. Is your life preaching that you have been with Jesus because of the confidence and the boldness that's on you? Like, are we walking in on Sunday morning at 9 a.m.? Are we praying like this? Oh, Lord, please show up. I just really hope that you show up. Or are we walking in seeing the promises of God and are we saying, Lord, you're showing up today. You're showing up today. Hallelujah, you are showing up today. You're going to set some people free. You're going to fill them with the Holy Ghost and bring in that excitement and that expectation. And there's some days where the Lord, he'll draw you in deep and it, it's just quiet. It's a, it's a, and we need to shut up in front of the Lord too. But we need to always carry. And you have different, different moves of the Holy Spirit in that way. The question is not, what are you doing that day? The question is, are we open? Are we open? Going down to verse 18. And it says, And when they had summoned them, they commanded them, Peter and John, not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. You see, a lot of times our flesh, in the middle of a service, in the middle of the Holy Ghost moving, it's not... It's not the rulers of Israel, but it's our mind and our flesh going, mm-mm, you better not jump. Somebody might see you. You better not worship. You better not flow. You better not speak in tongues. Somebody might see you. And, they, and they, that flesh summons you and commands you. Don't you speak and teach. Don't you operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Don't you operate in the, in the uh, anointings and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Don't you operate in that. Same thing as what these rulers are trying. And look at their response in verse 19. Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. In other words, I cannot stop moving. If I'm going to be obedient to God and obedient to the Holy Spirit, I can't stop being excited about my Jesus. I can't stop being expectant for the Holy Spirit to pour out His power and His anointing. I can't hold back expectation. I can't hold back joy. That's who He is. That's who I am. And I won't back down from that. You see? Can't do it. Can't do it. Then you go on down to verse 29. Now they're praying, they're, they're released, and they're praying. It says, And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence, with all boldness. Grant to us that we can speak that word with all confidence and with all boldness. While you, see, when we are bold about the word of God, about the promises of God, and about the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, about the love, the joy, we're excited, we're expectant. We have earnest expectation. We're walking in the joy of the Lord. He says, look, we will, we will grab a hold of these things. Give us boldness, Lord. And our prayer should be, give me more boldness. This is a good, great prayer. Give me more boldness for your things, Lord. Give me more boldness. Give me more confidence. And while you do that, verse 30, while you extend your hand to heal, 
and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. In other words, if he can get a people that will get excited and get expectant and move into the joy of the Lord and not be ashamed for godly things, not be ashamed for the power of God, for the life of God, for the Spirit of God, Holy Spirit's going to do things that are outside of your box. I promise you, the Holy Spirit will do things outside of your box. And then you have a choice to make. Am I going to be in shame in front of men? Or am I going to be praised by the Lord Jesus Christ? Because the Holy Spirit's going to do. Are we going to be ashamed or are we going to be bold, confident? Understanding that it's those things that are outside of logic that will set people free. Understanding that this is what will preach more than anything. This is what you need. You know, we're sitting up there preaching a word, preaching a word. We're trying to talk to our, our co-worker. We don't need all the talk as much as we need him to extend his hand. And his hand is extended as we move in boldness. Your co-worker, there's a co-worker right now in your life. There's somebody close to you, a friend, that needs the hand of Christ to extend. And our lack of boldness has held his hand back from them. But it needs to extend because boldness, we're not ashamed of it. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. In other words, everybody said, everything I have is yours. Man, you know the Holy Spirit's moved now. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I think we need some Pastor Amos anointing here. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. <laughs> That's good. All right. Last thing, turn to Mark 11. This has been sitting on me all week long. And I want you to see this. Verse 13 is where Jesus sees the fig tree. It's in leaf. He goes to eat it. And then he says to it, because it didn't have any fruit, verse 14, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. His disciples were listening. Then go down to verse 22. It says, and Jesus answered, saying to them, have faith in God. Now the original language here, uh, we would say it like this. Have the kind of faith that God has. He says, have the kind of faith that God has. That's what that's saying in the way that we talk today. Have the God kind of faith. And then he shows you what God kind of faith is. He says, Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. So you remember the God kind of faith in Genesis? Let there be light. And there was light. Right. So this is the God kind of faith. He said and he believed. And then you see in verse 24, there's a huge verse. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them. 
and they will be granted you. So see, God said, I believe that I have received light. And then he did that every day. Let there be, let there be, let there be. And then in verse uh, 26, 27, 28, he said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. I'm paraphrasing. Let us make man. In other words, just the same way that I spoke and believed that I received, this man can speak and believe that he received. And so when he comes over here, Jesus says, look, you are created in the image and likeness of God. Now don't just try to put on faith the way you've been taught. Put on God's type of faith. And here's what it is in verse 24. He says, therefore I say to you, for all things which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted you. Now, we'll use uh, finances uh, for a second here. Let's say that this bottle is a uh, uh, million dollars, okay? All right, let's say that this bottle, and it's for real, million bucks, right? Uh, let's say it's a chunk of gold, amen? Praise God. Let's say that it's a chunk of gold, worth a million bucks. So here's the thing in this verse. It doesn't say, let, let's say that we're believing for finances or you're believing for healing. Does it say believe for healing? No, what does it say to believe for? That reception, it says have received. That reception has already taken place. Amen? Now let's say that this is gold. All right, and it's worth a million dollars, and I gave it to you. All right? Now, see, she doesn't believe that that's real gold. You know why? She would have what? <laughs> All right, let's try it again now. Let's try it again. This is gold. It's worth a million dollars, and you just received it. Now, see, she's putting on. That's better, but you see, that's better. But is that really how we would have responded to a million dollars worth of gold? No. What would have happened? See, now what you're learning, listen, what you're learning right here is how to put on boldness, how to put on expectation. Do you see how that raised from the first handing off to the second? That's how you put on expectation and boldness. Because if she really received it, what did you say you'd do? I'm out the door. He's running buildings, laps. Woo! He's, he's like, amen, right? Why would you react that way? Because it's real? It's reality? Because you just received it. It's, it's not coming anymore. I've got it. I've got it. It's in my hand. This is now a reality. Okay then how come when we pray, we don't run around a building? Because it's not real to us. How would you react if everything you're praying for, just you just received it? The healing you need, you just literally received it. So see, now what that does is that changes our prayers. Because now when we start to pray, we're not talking about, is it coming? It might be here one day. It's a promise of God. It becomes, see, when we really pray, can you see how some people never receive what they're praying for? Because inside their heart, it's not real. There's no boldness. There's no earnest expectation. 
There's no confidence on that. There's no joy that I just received what I was praying for. They'll come up and they'll be like, well, I hope this prayer helps. And it's not God kind of hope. It's the world kind of hope. Wishing, luck. And so they step up for prayer. They're not receiving anything. Any, if, they get, if they receive anything, it's solely the mercy of God. That's it. But they're not playing the part. See, they're not, they're not grabbing a hold of what we talked about earlier. They're not partakers of the grace of Jesus Christ because they are not playing their partnership role with Jesus to actually receive with their heart. See, that ought to change something. The next time you come up here for, for prayer and we're releasing the anointing of Jesus in you, the question is, have, did you just receive? Have you received? Because when you believe, when you ask and you pray and you speak and you believe you have received, the mountains will move. Mountains will be thrown into the sea. Amen. And see, this is the difference. So instead of just walking up here, I wonder if something's going to happen. This would be cool if it would. No, no, no. We're like, we're like this. Man, something about to happen to me. Hallelujah. Something's about to happen. Excitement. Glory. Amen. Boldness. Confidence. Excitement. Joy of the Lord. We need to be carriers of it. And see, the same thing that just happened in this example is the first time I gave it to her, there's no, there's no reception there. The second time, she, there was still no real reception, but she was trying. She, she was stepping out into it. See, you've got to learn how to step out into it. You've got to learn how to step beyond your flesh and your mind that's saying, don't be bold and don't speak about Jesus anymore. You've got to learn how to step over that line and say, I'm receiving. Yeah, amen. And when I walk in this door, I'm receiving. And when I pray on Monday morning at my house, I'm receiving. This thing's changing. This thing's changing. Now right now, I want you to come and receive some of that bondage broken off of you. I want boldness to be released and let's see it. Amen. Just stand back here. Lord, right now, in Jesus' name, grant that we may all walk in boldness in Jesus' name. Let the bondages be broken off. Let the glory of the Lord be 